Good morning, I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors at Chapel Point, and um, we are engaged in this series, Because It Matters, talking about a biblical worldview. And the conversation that we're having isn't just among ourselves, but it's a conversation with God. Uh, we last week talked about prayer and the priority of prayer in that relationship, and this week we're going to talk about the role of the Bible in forming a biblical worldview, in particular, the priority of reading the Bible for a people that are going to really think biblically. We're memorizing Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, focusing on what it means to think God's thoughts and to choose God's paths. And to do that, God has given to us His Word, the Bible. And so the problem with Bible reading, and you have some notes there in your uh, worship guide. There's also a, a, a handout that we're going to look at a little bit later, so I'd encourage you to take those out and to look at those. The problem with Bible reading is that most people agree it's a good thing to do. But that's where it ends for a lot of people. Uh, this uh, chart that I have on your notes there, Bible engagement profiles, you can sort of look at that, and I'll have it up on the screen here as well. That what, what does it mean to be Bible-centered? Well, that's interacting with the Bible frequently, and it's transforming their relationships, but also guiding their choices. And notice, only 5% of the people polled, that would be true of them. 19% would be called Bible-engaged. They're interacting with the Bible frequently, and it is transforming their relationships with God and others, but isn't impacting their daily choices. Bible-friendly is 19%. Uh, they're interacting with the Bible somewhat consistently, maybe a source of spiritual insight and wisdom. Bible-neutral, 9%. These are people that interact with the Bible sporadically, has little spiritual influence, but that influence may be growing. And Bible disengaged, 48% of the people polled, means that they interact with the Bible infrequently, has minimal impact on their lives at all. Another part of the study said, um, in response to the question, the Bible has transformed my life, 26% of the people agreed, 33% agreed somewhat, 17% agreed somewhat, and 24% disagreed totally. In other words, only about 59% of the people said the Bible has a transforming effect on our life. Now, I'd like to think that in a gathering like today, that would not be true of us, but the reality is I know that many people struggle with the uh, habit of the heart of Bible reading. And I hope by the end of this message, if that's true of you, you will be helped and encouraged. And even if you are reading the Bible, you'll be strengthened to do that even better because it's impossible to have a biblical worldview and to live a godly life apart from that. Bible reading is an essential part of your conversation with God. Prayer is how we talk to God, and the Bible is the primary way that God talks to us. And God really does want to have a personal relationship with you, and every relationship is based on communication. So we communicate to God through prayer, and Pastor Joel talked about that last week, and he communicates to us through the Bible. Our church uh, vision statement, and it's, uh, if, if you forget what it is, you can see it over the fireplace, and uh, you can also see it up here on the screen. Let's say it out loud together, okay? Transform followers of Jesus, passionately responding to God, rooted in prayer and the Bible, and equipping disciples. I want you to notice, rooted in prayer and the Bible. So if you'd like to fill in the blanks of your notes for the message, those are the blanks there, Okay. We need to be rooted in prayer because that's how we talk to God. We need to be rooted in the Bible because that's how God talks to us. 
I want you to take your Bibles right now and uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This this passage that uh, is at the very end of it, I want to just read it for you, and then we're going to look at the previous context. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, is our focus this morning. Paul, uh, writing the very last letter that he wrote before he died as a martyr for Christ, is writing to a young man he mentored, Timothy. And he says, but as for you, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. In the previous context of this chapter, if you look back to verse 1, you'll notice that Paul is kind of giving a a heads up, a warning, that uh, in the last days, perilous or fierce times will come. Uh, He's saying the last days because Paul believed that because Jesus had come and risen and uh, ascended back to heaven and the Spirit had come, that there was nothing remaining for Jesus to come back. It could happen at any time. He believed that he was living like his feet over the edge of eternity. And he said, in those times, fierce times are going to come, literally beastly times. Same word was used to describe the the demonized man who couldn't be held with chains. Uh, Why is that true? Why is it that in this culture, the challenge of living with a biblical worldview in a culture that pressures us to compromise... If you're going to determine in your life that I'm going to live with a biblical worldview, then you need to know there's going to be pressure on you to compromise that commitment. Why is that? Well, there's three reasons given in the previous context. First, verses 1 to 5, unrestrained sinners that behave badly. If you just look at what it says, it talks about people that are going to have the the expressions of sin, the expressions of depravity. They're loving themselves. They're loving pleasure more than lovers of God. They're loving silver more than they're loving God. They are fierce. It just talks about the description of unrestrained sinners. You know what? You look around you today in our culture, and you see the violence against children, the violence against women. You see the, 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 the beastly way in which people live. That's the culture in which we're living, isn't it? The second thing he says here in this, in this context is that false teachers are going to believe wrongly. So you have unrestrained sinners behaving badly. You have false teachers believing wrongly. And from verse 6 to 9, he describes that. People are going to be lovers of, uh, of, of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're going to have a form of godliness but no power to change their lives. They're going to be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And they're going to be actually sneaky, creeping in through false teaching. And and today we have all of the different false religions and false forms of Christianity that are out there. So you've got unrestrained sinners behaving badly. You've got false teachers believing wrongly. And then catch this, you have an intolerant tolerance that persecutes the godly. Now that's a mouthful. Try to say that a few times. An intolerant tolerance. Today, uh, tolerance is the key, key word. You tolerate everything except people that believe that they have truth. People that are followers of Christ are not tolerated. An intolerant tolerance that persecutes the godly. And Paul talks about his own persecution, and then he says in verse 12, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Now, friends, those things aren't good news. Those are the reality, though. We live in that kind of culture that's constantly pressuring you to compromise a biblical worldview. So what is it that we need to do practically to be able to live our lives and to live out a biblical worldview? That's where Paul comes to the end of the chapter. And he says, listen, if you're going to do that, you need to become passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God. That's the key idea, I think, that we're going to focus on today. You need to become passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God. So I'm assuming three things there. First of all, you're going to get passionate about it. You're not going to be neutral. You're going to get actually excited about reading the Bible. And you're going to read the Bible as a conversation with God. Friends, if you don't read the Bible as a conversation with God, it's just a duty, and it's not changing you. But when you read the Bible conversationally with God, it changes everything. It's actually five disciplines or habits of the heart about the Bible, and we're just talking about one, reading the Bible as a conversation with God. Now, in the text that we looked at, there's five reasons why that's important, why you should become passionate about reading the Bible. Verse 14 is the first one. You should become passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God because of the example of godly people. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you continue, persevere in what you have learned, and you have not only learned, but you believed. Why? Knowing from whom you've learned it. So who had been a godly example to Timothy? Well, his mother and his grandmother had been, according to chapter 1. He had a faith, a genuine faith that was first in them. And his grandmother and mother were both Jewish converts to Christianity. They knew the Old Testament and were learning the New Testament. Paul was another one who mentored Timothy and taught him. We know that. And we also know that the leaders in Timothy's church had poured into him. Timothy's father was an unsaved Greek. And so the men in the church had apparently had a lot of influence in mentoring him and been an example to him. We're told that when Paul came to Timothy's town in Lystra, that the men of the church, the leaders of the church said, this young man is somebody you ought to take with you, Paul. We commend him to you. So Timothy had had godly examples in his life. Paul, his mother, his grandmother, the men of the church. And I want to ask you a question. Who has been a godly example in your life? Who have been some of the people that have influenced you the most spiritually? Maybe a parent, a grandparent, maybe another relative. It could be a pastor. It could be a, a youth pastor. It could be a teacher. Who has influenced you the most? Think about that person for a minute, and would you agree with me that they were people for whom Bible reading was a regular part of their life? It was something that they did. It was a habit of the heart. And, and reading the Bible as a conversation with God characterized them. It was a daily thing that they did. I want to tell you, every person that has impacted my life and mentored me has been that kind of person. They developed a habit of spending time in conversation with God every day with the Bible. Godly people do that. And that's the reason if you want to be godly, then developing that habit is absolutely essential. Here's a second reason why you ought to read the Bible as a conversation with God, be passionate about it, to root your faith deeply in Christ. Look at verse 15. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
He's saying, Timothy, from the time you were a little child, you've been taught the Bible, you've been taught the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures are that which are able to give you wisdom about salvation, salvation, deliverance from sin and its consequences. We saw it pictured in the baptism today. We saw it pictured in the Lord's table, that salvation, that deliverance that we had. We just sang about it in a song. That salvation that we have in Christ Jesus is through faith in him, rooted in the scriptures, rooted in the scriptures. Friends, that's why, by the way, when it says from a child that we have a children's ministry at Chapel Point. That's why we have a student ministry. That's why it's the primary responsibility of moms and dads to be able to model for and teach children the importance of coming to faith in Christ. Faith in Christ that's rooted in the Bible. Without daily Bible reading, your faith is not going to be rooted in the Scriptures. It may be rooted in your opinions. It may be rooted in tradition. It may get rooted in legalism, but it's not going to be rooted in Christ. Friends, when you read the Bible daily, you're going to encounter Christ. You're going to feed your faith, and doubts will starve to death. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons we need to do that. Paul in Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Friends, when you read the Bible, you are actually feeding your faith. You're focusing on Christ and what he did for you as a Savior day after day. It's one of the reasons you need to become passionate about reading the Bible. Here's a third one. Because you can receive God-breathed truth. Look what Paul says in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Other translations refer to it this way. All Scripture is inspired by God. And the ESV basically translates the meaning. All the sacred writings, the 66 books of the Bible, have the quality of being breathed out by God. What's that describing? It is describing for us the fact that the Bible actually contains the life of God. It pulsates with the life of the Creator, and it speaks with the authority of God. You say, why do you say that the Bible pulsates with the life of the Creator? If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God formed Adam, remember, like a potter forms a clay, he formed him out of the dust of the ground, his body, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. In the Greek translation of that passage of Genesis 2-7, it's the same word that's here in 2 Timothy 3-16. All Scripture is breathed out by God with a very life-giving breath of God. Friend, I was dead in my sin, headed for a Christless eternity. I couldn't come to God. I had no faith. I was not able to respond to God. And God, by His Holy Spirit, took His word and breathed life into this dead sinner and raised me from the, from the dead. This book is alive, friend. It's like no other book. It actually pulsates with the life of God. That's what it means to be inspired. It is God-breathed. It also means that it speaks with the very authority of God. God breathed through the authors of Scripture so that what you have is not simply man's opinion about God or man's experience with God, It actually speaks of the authority as if God spoke it himself. And the authors of Scripture knew that. God spoke through me, David said in the Psalms. Peter says in 2 Peter, 
the, the writings of Paul, which are sometimes hard to be understood, are, uh, people twist like the other scriptures. Friends, the Bible speaks with the very authority of God. In other words, God has spoken and he didn't stutter. God has spoken and he didn't stutter. God speaks through creation every day, even through the rain this morning. God spoke through angels. God spoke through, um, through all kinds of messengers. God spoke in many different ways, even handwriting on the wall or handwriting on a stone in Moses' case. God has spoken through 66 books that are God-breathed, alive, pulsating with the life of God, speaking with the authority of God. So why do, you, why do you and I need to be passionate about reading the Bible? Because, friends, God has revealed himself to us. God has spoken. The prophet Ezekiel, chapter 38, sees a vision of a valley of dry bones, picturing the, the resurrection, literally, of the nation of Israel that was going to come and, and how God connected the bones and how God covered them with flesh and, and then God breathed into those dry bones and they became alive, picturing what we have even in God's word to us. Let me explain this to you. This book is like no other book, friends. There is no other book. Believe me, I'm a guy who likes books. But there is no other book like this. It is at the same time a human book and a divine book. It has human authors and a divine author, the Holy Spirit. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says, listen, this didn't come to you through any private interpretation. But holy men of God spoke as they were literally propelled forward by the Holy Spirit. And Peter, being a fisherman, uses imagery of a sailboat out in the, in the lake. He said, these authors of Scripture spoke propelled forward by the wind of the Spirit. This book is a human divine book. Just like Jesus was man and God, this book has human authors and divine authors. Don't let anybody tell you, please, that the Bible is simply the words or opinions or experiences of man. It claims for itself and proves for itself that this is the divinely inspired, the God-breathed truth. And friends, that's why you ought to be passionate about reading this. And, and finally, and, and next, when you receive that, you experience life transformation, verse 16 also. Not only is it breathed out by God, but it's profitable. Friends, reading this word from God is beneficial to you. It will help you. It's profitable. In what way? He, he names four. For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now watch this. Doctrine is talking about what you should believe. Reproof is confronting you when you're believing the wrong things. Correction is teaching you how to behave right. It literally means to stand you back up. Instruction and in righteousness, it's correcting you when you're, believe, when you're behaving wrongly. Instruction and in righteousness shows you how to behave rightly. Remember the beginning of the chapter? Unrestrained sinners who are behaving badly and false teachers that are believing wrongly. He's saying, listen, this book is profitable to teach you what to believe and to show you how to behave. It does both, friends. If you want to know what's true, if you want to know what to believe, it's here. The treasury of divine truth is here. 
If you want to know how to live and how to behave and how to have wisdom, it's right here in the Word of God. Friends, the Bible is a gold mine of wisdom, a light to guide our steps. It is spiritual bread to feed our souls and a treasury of grace to enrich our hearts. It warns the sinner. It comforts those that grieve. It teaches the humble and matures the believer. It equips the servant. It arms the soldier. It helps us in life and guides us towards heaven. God's glory is the focus of the Bible. Christ is the hero of the story. The Holy Spirit is the author of every word. And life transformation, transformation is its intended result. Friends, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Be passionate about Bible reading. You say, okay, Jim, you got me. Got five reasons why I ought to read the Bible. But I struggle with how. How do I read the Bible? How do I make that a part of my life? I am so glad you asked that question. Because we're going to help you with that. But before we do, verse 17. The Bible also equips us for impact. To be a catalyst in a dry culture, it says that the man of God... That includes you ladies as well. May be complete, and that was used for a soldier having all of his armor. And equipped for every good work. Equipped has to do with a a sailing vessel having everything it needs to head out to sea. The, The idea of both is that you have everything you need to be able to impact other people's lives through the Word of God. The Bible completes us for ministry and equips us for service. So so in in order to be a witness for Christ, in order to use your spiritual gifts, in order to engage in ministry in the Bible uh, with with others, the Bible actually equips you to be able to serve and to impact others. I don't think there's a person here who wouldn't want their life to make a difference, who wouldn't want to be able to represent Christ where you work or in your neighborhood. I don't think there's a person here who wouldn't want to be able to say, I'm making a difference in someone else's life. But how do you get equipped to do that? Read the Bible, friends. It will equip you. It will complete you. It'll help you to be able to make a difference and to be able to impact other people in a dry culture. Become passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God. Now, you have a card in your, in your um, worship guide as well. I want you to take that out. It looks like this, Okay. And I want to talk to you about five things that you can do to really make this happen and to, and to have it work in your life, okay? First of all, read as a conversation with God. Friends, reading is not simply letting your eyes pass over a line of print without thinking about it. Some of us were taught to read words and never to read ideas, And the highest level of reading you will ever have is when you understand all reading is a conversation with the author. When I read a book, I'm I'm having a conversation with the author, who may be long dead, but I'm still reading and having a conversation with him. And when I read my Bible, I am having a conversation with the divine author, the Holy Spirit. Do you read the Bible conversationally? This spiritual discipline, the hard habit of Bible reading is having a conversation with God. Think of it as if you are actually listening to God talk to you. Okay, secondly, be intentional. Most people don't read the Bible because they don't have a plan to read the Bible. You need to decide in your day, what's the best time for me to do that? What is the best place for me to do that where I can be truly alone with God and quiet? Um, what is my plan for reading the Bible? 
And we'll talk a little bit about how to journal your Bible reading to really make it stick and make it meaningful. Friends, reading the Bible is, is a part of having that plan. You say, well, I don't have a plan for reading the Bible. Look at the other side. For the next 30 days in the Gospel of Mark, we have a tool for you that's the shortest of the Gospels, 16 chapters. You can read that in 30 days. And I want to challenge you, if you are not in the habit of reading the Bible, take the challenge and say, I will read the Gospel of Mark in the next month. Half a chapter a day. It's all divided up here for you with an outline of the book. And you can check it off as you go. Just read the Gospel of Mark in the next 30 days. You can do that. There's not a person here that can't do that. Uh, you, you can actually listen to the Bible by, by using something like Bible or some other tool that you can actually listen to it as you drive to work. You can listen to it as you work out. So listening to it can be as helpful as long as it's conversationally with God as you're doing that. Um, by the way, if you're driving and you're listening to that um, and you're praying, please watch and pray. Keep your eyes open, okay? All right, be intentional. By the way, in terms of having a plan, I think every believer ought to have a long-term plan of reading through the entire Bible. But I don't really care if it's one year, two years, or five years. By marking down what you have read until you've covered all of it. Because, friends, it'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it, to get to, the, get to heaven and meet Habakkuk and say, no, I didn't read your book. Or to be Jeremiah and lamenting that you didn't read Lamentations. That would not be good, all right? So third, saturate it with prayer. Saturate it with prayer. What I mean by that is, before you start reading the Bible, pray to get your heart ready. As you're reading the Bible, pray, have a conversation with God both ways. You're talking to God about what you're reading. And when you're done, and I'd say when you're done journaling, then pray. Mix prayer and the Bible together. They're to fit together that way, okay? Now here's something that's been probably the biggest help to me in making Bible reading really meaningful and, and it's why I'm so passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God. Is when I'm, when I'm done, when I'm reading the passage, I try to identify a part of the passage that really speaks to me. And then I go back to that and ask two questions. Who is God and what should I do? And I journal very briefly, did it again this morning, very briefly the answer to those two questions. You say, well, what am I looking for when I ask the question, who is God? Look down below. Something about God's character. We call those the attributes of God, the characteristics like holiness and love and mercy and, and righteousness. And, and the names of God, the names and titles of God that are in that passage. God's works like creation and, and God's work of miracles and God's works in history and God's work in, in salvation, the, the works of God. The inspiration of the Bible is a work of God. Or to, a focus on one or more of the persons of the Trinity, See, when I look, I'm looking for something about God that I can that day use in my praise and worship. Friend, it's so, it's so meaningful to me. It's why I'm passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God, because when I'm done journaling, I, I'm fueling praise and worship for that day. I don't have to wait to come to church next Sunday to, to worship. I'm worshiping every day, because I'm responding to God's self-disclosure in the Bible by worshiping Him. But secondly... What should I do? And when I identify a passage saying, you know, this is a passage that got my attention, I'm going to look down through these and say, is there a command here or a promise or a prayer? There's some blessing of God's grace, an example, a, a sin to avoid, some teaching, a, a doctrine to believe, 
some wisdom I can apply to my life, or some warning to heed. And just to help you, if you like these kind of things, down at the bottom, you got a little memory technique. See two P's, best, and two W's. Now, for some of you, that's weird, but for me, it helps me, okay? So see, command, two P's, promise and prayer, best blessing, example, sin, teaching, and two W's, wisdom and warning. Now, you can just remember it that way. Those are applicational ways of looking at the Bible. Do you know what would happen in your life if every day you spent time with God in his word? And at the end of that time, you'd mind out something about God to use to praise and worship him. And you just prayed that back to him. And every day, you had a fresh application for your life from the word of God, and you prayed that back to God. Guess what? You would be having a conversation with God. God would be speaking to you about himself, and God would be speaking to you about what he wants you to do that day. You build on that day after day after day, friends, and it changes everything. Some of you have great friendships, and some of you enjoy greatly your marriage. Some of you, those relationships may be strained, but every healthy relationship is based on communication. It's spending time together talking heart to heart. I remember in our marriage, the breakthrough time when, when I felt that I could just open my heart and soul to Bert and tell her about the secrets of my heart, the fears of my heart, and those kind of things, and found that I had one person on this planet that I could talk to that would hear my heart and care for me that way. And friends, it would be a lonely world without that. But guess what? I found even before that that I could um, take my Bible and get along with God and have a conversation. I could talk to God about what's ever on my heart. It's a safe place to do that at the throne of grace. And then I could listen to God speak to me through his word about who he is and about what he wants for my life. And friends, I am passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God, and I want you to be passionate. Some of you are feeling guilty at this moment that you're not reading the Bible. That's not the point of the message. The point of the message is to motivate you to read the Bible and say, you can do this with God's help. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the authors of the Bible lives in every Christian to teach you the Bible. And friends, if you'll just say, today, before the day's done, I'm going to start reading the Gospel of Mark. You know what? You'll have a running start for the month, so if you miss a day, you're already ahead of the game. And I'm going to try out these two questions. I'm going to find a place to write it down. Friends, I want to tell you, there should be a warning label on this book. Caution. Reading this may change your life. Reading this may change your life. Are you ready to take the challenge? Let's pray about it together right now. I want to invite you to simply talk to God in this moment. And if you are reading the Bible regularly, praise the Lord. Say, God, I want, you, I want to go even deeper and make it more of a conversation. And if you're not, I want to invite you to commit right now, to commit right now that starting this day, 
you're going to start reading the Gospel of Mark. In the next 30 days, you're going to engage in a conversation with God. You're going to take that card, you're going to put it in your Bible, you're going to put it someplace close where you can use that as a tool. And friends, if you do that for 30 days, you will become passionate about reading the Bible as a conversation with God. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you have communicated with us. You have spoken to us in so many ways. person of your son, Jesus, the incarnate word, through the authors of scripture in the Old and New Testament. And you want to have a conversation with us that's real, that's personal. But you didn't give your word so to just sit on the shelf and gather dust. You gave it so that we could have a daily relationship and conversation with you. And while the pressure around us tries conforming us, and the sin that surrounds us, the false teaching that is all through our culture, the pressure to compromise that is there, God, we know that that your word is more than enough. (coughs) Father, I pray that this very day, there may be some of my brothers and sisters in Christ that say, today, today I'm going to start the spiritual heart habit of reading the Bible intentionally to have a conversation with you. And God, I pray the next 30 days would be a time of spiritual awakening for them. As you brought spiritual awakening in the days of Nehemiah because people read the Bible, may you do that at Chapel Point. Change us, transform us as we're rooted in prayer and the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen.